Um, for those who were here last week, it's me again. <laughs> I'm really happy to be speaking to you again on this topic. And I think God is probably trying to tell us something at St. James because it seems like the same themes are coming up again and again. Um, I'm the cur- My name is Anne Richardson. I'm the curate here. For those who don't know you, don't know me. Um, and I'm going to have to say something pretty spectacular to compete with the rugby this morning, I think. So I'll do my best. <laughs> right. Um, we're back into James this morning. If you hadn't noticed, uh, we started our story, our sermon series in James a few weeks ago, and we're, we had a little break whilst we looked at vision, and we're back uh, from where, where we left off with Chris Edwards from Hope. I don't know if you remember his, his talk with the comfy chair. Um, this is the passage after that one about treating everyone equally. And this is one of those passages that just make you squirm in your seat. I don't know if you find that. It's, it's really challenging. Um, I don't know if you've ever met one of those people who ask difficult questions to see how people act and react to them. Maybe you're one of those people that likes asking really hard questions and, and provoking a response. And I think James is being a bit like this here. He's, he's asking some really difficult questions to try and provoke a response from us. Um, So we might need to dig a little bit deeper to see actually what's going on behind those questions. And I think my message this morning is fundamentally about faith, about what faith is and about what faith isn't. And um, James is basically saying in this passage that um, faith, if it doesn't produce words, uh, works, isn't real faith at all. For our faith to be genuine and real, it has to make a difference to the way we're living. And to make his point, James introduces four characters, um, two of which show us which fa- what faith is and two which show us what faith isn't. It might be helpful for you to have the, the passage open in front of you as I go through it. Um, and uh, we're going to start with our first character, which is, I have called him Best Wishes Bob. I wrote this sermon before the Apprentice episode of Sophisticated Sarah, if anyone saw that and and thought second about it. But Best Witches Bob is basically a caricature, and I thought it might help us to see that actually what James is talking about, he's talking to someone who's a caricature rather than a real person. And... um, But James seems to base Best Wishes Bob on some of the false teaching that's been around, some of the arguments of people... um, uh, that are around him about faith and deeds. And Best Wishes Bob, um, this is Best Wishes Bob here. Um, he's the kind of person whose Christian faith t- turns out to be all talk um, and no depth. Uh, James kind of gives, sets us this scene of the, for this character. And maybe you can imagine Best Wishes Bob walking down uh, the road in a nice warm coat on his way out for lunch with his friends. And he sees Sarah from church sat begging next to the road with nothing. So the person that Best Wishes Bob sees is someone that he knows in the passage. And um, he sees someone maybe from church sitting in in the rags in the cold. And uh, Bob responds straight away in a good-natured, vague kind of way and says, it'll all be okay, best wishes, keep warm and eat. And then carries on his way, shaking his head and muttering sadly, into a warm, heated restaurant, forgetting all about her after a while. 
James is being deliberately provocative here, but I don't know about you, but I can't help but be challenged about the number of times I've walked past a homeless person and uh, gone on my way and had my lunch and forgotten all about them. But I think fundamentally what James is saying about Bob is that he doesn't really mean what he says. He says to Sarah, it'll be okay, best wishes, keep warm, but he doesn't actually do anything physical to help her. And every time I see a homeless person, this passage comes into my head. It's, it's been like that for years. And, um, I, and so I've been thinking a lot, what is this passage saying about charity and about prayer, and what is it not saying? I don't think this passage is saying that we need to appease a sense of guilt by thoughtlessly giving money away. Um, some homeless charities say that giving money to beggars on the streets doesn't help their problems. And um, after getting to know some homeless people personally, I think I'm also of the opinion that giving away money on the streets doesn't help as much as we hope. I used to work in town, and every time I walked to work, there'd be the same beggars in the subway, and I'd get to know them. I sat and I chatted to them. I even prayed with them. And um, my homeless friend eventually told me that if someone gives him £20, he just goes and spends it on drugs. And it doesn't actually help him. I know that's not the same for everyone. I know not every homeless person is on drugs. But it made me think that actually when we give our money away, we want to be informed about where it's going to. And we want for it to help. Because that's fundamentally at the the root of this passage. It's a faith that makes a difference, a, a good difference to people's lives. And I always wanted to do more for my homeless friends than I felt I could But I try and see homeless as people, to look them in the eye, to ask them if I can buy them anything. I give money to a homeless charity every month so that they can support and and do the things that I can't. But I, and sometimes I don't have time to stop. Sometimes we don't have time to stop. But I try not to dismiss that stirring of compassion in my heart when I see someone rough sleeping. Because how we treat the poor says something about the spiritual state of our hearts. Jesus can be found in the poor. And that's been my humbling experience. Matthew 25 says, um, when Jesus Jesus is saying a parable, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you did it for me. And that's faith in action. But this passage is also not saying that we need to feel guilty about the things we can do nothing about. James is talking about when God gives us the opportunity and the means to help the poor and we don't do anything with it. He's not saying that we need to take all of the world's problems on our shoulders, but that when God gives us the opportunity and the means to do something, to act. And for a while after reading this verse, I used to feel bad about praying for people in difficulties. Um, Because what Best Wishes Bob says, Best Wishes Bob, what Best Wishes Bob says is quite close to a prayer. But I think what James is talking about is the hastily said, I'll pray for you, which is not backed up rather than the earnest prayer that seeks God's help and intervention in a person's situation. Sometimes all we can do for someone is pray for them. 
And I really want to encourage you that prayer makes a difference. Prayer works. James later says himself, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So it's okay if all only action we can take in faith is to pray. That is a good action. So that's Best Wishes Bob, um, whose faith hasn't really touched his heart or changed his life. It's just words. Our next example, um, the next caricature that James uses, I have called Intellectual Ingrid, just to try and help us remember these people. Um, It's another caricature based on arguments that James was coming across. But Ingrid doesn't even get to the good intentions of Bob because she's too busy and thinking and studying. Her argument uh, from the passage is that there are two different types of people, those who have faith and those who do works, the intellectual and the practical, and that they shouldn't get in one another's way. And all her, the result of her intellectualizing uh, leads to her saying triumphantly, I believe there is one God. And James responds with a sarcastically damning, good, even the demons believe this. And he rebukes her further by saying that the demons believe and shudder, the demons respond with action, which is more than Ingrid. Knowledge about God is not the same thing as knowing God. God is a relational God, and he wants a relationship with us. And we talked a lot about this last week. But again, it's really worth highlighting what James is and isn't saying with this extremes of caricature, because we can take it out of context. James is not saying that intellectual study is not important. It is. In Paul, Paul in Romans says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How we think, what we think about things and how we process them affects how we act. And theology has been really important for the church in keeping sound teaching and, and keeping us faithful to God over thousands of years. Rather, what James is saying is that knowing something alone and it not making a difference to your actions isn't faith. It's not even real knowing. Right, the next slide. I was thinking about an example of this and, uh, and how um, this is the Niagara Falls. Uh, we went there on our, our wedding anniversary a few years ago. And um, there's a story of a guy called Charles Blondin that a lot of people use to describe what faith is. He set up a tightrope walk uh, across the falls um, and he would walk backwards and forwards and wow the, the Victorian crowd. You wouldn't get it now, would you? Um, and, uh, and he'd say, and one of his things, he walked a wheelbarrow blindfolded backwards and forwards across the, the falls and then he put something in his wheelbarrow and walked backwards and forwards. And he said to the crowd, do you believe I can do this again? And they all cheered and say, yes. And he said to them, well, get in the wheelbarrow then. And um, that's faith. That's faith is getting in that wheelbarrow as Charles Blondin blindfolded walks across the falls and comes back again. Faith isn't believing that he can do it. It's actually putting your trust in him that he's going to get you across safely. And of course, our God is a lot better than Charles Blondin. And probably wouldn't do anything so reckless. (laughs) But I thought that was a good example of actually, faith is not just the thinking it can happen, it's the putting your trust in it, putting putting your life in God's hands. Now to the example of the the faith, the characters who tell us what faith is. 
Um, we have Abraham. And I don't think you could think of a better example from the Bible to tell us what faith is. He's the father of the Jewish nation, who when his, he, he and his wife were old and barren, and God said that he was going to become the father to a nation as numerous as the stars. Abraham believed God, even when the odds were against him. And, um, and he did father a son, eventually. He is the one uh, when God called him to leave his home and come on a journey with God. God didn't tell him where he was going. He just got up and left, packed all his stuff and his family and followed God. And, um, and he is the father of Israel. And James chooses to use the most challenging example of Abraham's faith. When he went to offer his only son Isaac on the altar before God... And God saved Isaac at the last minute by providing a lamb instead. I think this has got to be the most challenging test of faith in the whole Bible and echoes God sending his own son to die for us. But James's point here is that Abraham's actions displayed the full extent of his faith. It's not that he, his actions... It, it, the faith comes before the actions... And the way we act in difficult and challenging situations can display the true extent of our trust in God. We can look at Abraham's example of faith and be encouraged that no matter what circumstances we're in, no matter how bleak it is, um, we can be encouraged that we can trust God. That God will be faithful and he will provide. And perhaps you might need to hear this. You might need to hear that sometimes faith in action is just holding on and keeping going one day at a time. Holding on to what God said and his goodness. Our final example of what faith is belongs to Rahab. Um, and you couldn't get a more difficult, diff, difficult, different person to Ab- Abraham than, than Rahab. She was a Gentile prostitute. She was a female. Um, and James is making the point that faith is just for anyone. Everyone can have faith. Um, Rahab is the one who tied the scarlet scarf to the window and when the Israelites came, her family were saved, if you remember that story. And unlike Best Wishes Bob, who didn't even show hospitality to someone he knew, Rahab showed hospitality to strangers who came in God's name and risked her life for them. She showed her faith was in God and her allegiance lay with him in a really practical way. A bit like that getting into the wheelbarrow. got two more points and the next one I think is really might have just been to satisfy me but perhaps you might be feeling the same. I want to address verse 24 um, which on the surface seems to be going directly against Romans. I think I've got a comparison. So in James 22 verse 24 says a person is justified by works and not faith alone whereas when I read that a light bulb went off and I was like oh it doesn't say that in the rest of the Bible. Romans 3 verse 28 says a, a, a person is justified by faith and not works of the law. And um, I just really wanted to dig a bit into that because I don't know about you, but that made me think, what is going on here? Are, are James and Paul having an argument? Are they saying the same thing? But um, having looked into it a bit deeper, don't worry, there is a, there is a, a good argument behind them not being in conflict I think the key word here is, James is saying someone's not justified by faith alone. 
James is using this verse as like a neat summary for all of his argument before that actually um, the bogus faith of best wishes Bob and intellectual Ingrid is not real faith. Something that is just thoughts or words alone is not faith. Works have to back that up. And another key word that helps us understand this conflict is justified. Um, commentators say that Paul and James are using justified in a different context and in a different way. In Romans, Paul is using the word to describe how we enter the kingdom of God, how we become Christians. Paul says that we are justified before we do anything, that God loves us and dies for us before we do any works, and his love is no way based on what we do. It's like a good parent will always love their child, no matter what. James, on the other hand, is talking about the justification that comes on the final judgment, um, when that will reckon us as righteousness, righteous. The works that show we have Jesus living in us, that our faith is alive. Let me put it another way. Paul is saying that a sinner can get, only get into a relationship with God by faith. And James is saying that the ultimate uh, test of that faith, the ultimate proof of that relationship, is the, the works that true faith produce. Now, if we really believe that Jesus died for us, then we'll live differently and we'll have the Spirit living in us to help us do this. James isn't just saying that we need to add works as an attachment to our faith. He's saying if we have faith, if we have true faith, we won't be able to help but to act differently. So that's our four, passage, four, um, four characters. But what about us? We have a radical gospel of God's self-sacrificial love. How well do our lives reflect this? Can people tell by looking at our lives that we're any different from the people around us, that we're people of faith? Is how we spend our time, our money and our relationships any different from the people around us? And I think that's what God's encouraging us to think about this morning, about what we do and why we do it. Whether we live our lives because we know a God who loves us and who died for us, and we want to respond to that love, or whether we just live our lives the way the rest of the world do it, because that's just what's done. Um, this week, um, I've had the privilege of going around for dinner with a Syrian refugee family, with my family, and, um, and just getting to know them. And we were just reflecting with them how different Syrian culture is. In Syria, everyone had the same timetable. It was very, very relational. And they were say, saying, it's such hard work in the UK because you have to do everything on your own. You don't get any help. And it's made me think, actually... It's the way I run my diary and plan my life based on the way my Western cult does things or is it based on God and what he says and his spirit living in me? And I don't really have the answers to this and I think we'll all be challenged in different ways. But I think God is just challenging us to stop and think about how we live and whether we live based on our faith or whether we live just because we're caught up in the way the world is doing things. My message today isn't that we suddenly need to start doing lots more things. Good work, just doing good works, doesn't produce faith. Faith comes from God and is a gift and a response. But I do think God is saying 
that maybe some of the ways we live, we could live differently. He's inviting us to walk in step with his spirit and let his spirit direct our lives. To let him come and be in control and, uh, and to sometimes do maybe something that we don't want to do because we feel God's saying it's a better way. But I also think that God really wants to encourage us that we are already doing this. Um, before I became a Christian, I remember looking at Christians and thinking, oh, wow, they really love one another. But now I'm a Christian, I don't really see that anymore. Um, I just don't notice it. It's just normal. It's normal for me for people to love and be nice to one another. And that is amazing. Also, when I became a Christian, my friends were like, oh, wow, you've really changed. And I didn't notice any difference. I just, well, I did notice a difference of God, but I didn't think I'd changed. And so I think sometimes we don't realise that we are living as people of faith, that our faith does make a difference to us. And uh, we just don't realise what God's doing through us in the people around us. So I just, and also I know there's a lot of people in this congregation who do amazing things, who really do help the poor, um, and who really do live loving lifestyles. And I just feel like God really wants to encourage us in that as well. It's not all challenge, it's an encouragement that we are making a difference, that our faith does work. It's like I was saying last week, faith starts with God. What we do starts with God and our actions flow out of that relationship. And if we want to love the poor more, if we want to have a faith that works, we need to start with God, otherwise we'll feel burnt out or overburdened. It starts with knowing God's heart of compassion and letting that heart move our hearts to bless those with the blessings he's given us. Letting God's Holy Spirit direct how we live. And I also think that for some of us, actually, the challenge is just to keep on going, like Abraham. Just keep on holding on to the faith on a day-by-day basis throughout the difficulties that we're struggling with. Just like Abraham did in his years of waiting for children, in his not knowing where God was calling him to. That is faith in action, to just hold on to God in difficult times. So... Let's sum it up. Best wishes Bob and intellectual Ingrid didn't get what real faith was. And I apologise if your name is Bob or Ingrid. I tried hard to choose names that people wouldn't have. The perseverance, bravery and sacrifice of Abraham and Rahab show us their faith in action. So let's consider together how we act and whether our actions reflect our faith. Let's go back to God for more of his love and his compassion for those around us, and for more of his Holy Spirit's guidance. Let's be willing to change how we live for him and be brave enough to let him take the steering wheel because only God knows the way to life in all its fullness. And I think he might want to surprise us.